Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, it's Andy Bueller, high school sports reporter and host of the Scorebook Live Today podcast. So the coronavirus has shut down schools and halted high school sports, but we're taking things up a notch in hopes to help during this time of great uncertainty. Each day, we're releasing a special episode of this podcast called Dickow's Quarantine Series, where our own Dan Dickow interviews an expert in their respective field, from coaches to trainers, authors to uh, former standout athletes. Subscribe to this podcast for free, and please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's keep everyone safe by washing your hands and following the governor's stay-at-home mandate. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Here's Dan Dickow after a word from our sponsor. Are you a small business impacted by the coronavirus? Washington Federal is here to help. Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live, and it's offering a five-year business line of credit with 90 days interest for free to businesses that have seen a 10% or greater drop. Apply now to receive up to $200,000 on business lines of credit. The folks at Washington Federal understand small businesses may need an emergency loan. They're doing their best to help during this global pandemic. If you're a small business owner who needs help, head to wafdbank.com to apply. Questions? Email business.lifeline at wafd.com. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live, Washington. Today's podcast during our quarantine series where we continue to have experts from different fields, whether they are authors, uh, strength coaches, former players from the state, or coaches in general. We've got a unique and talented guest today, someone who's got tremendous success in the coaching world uh, during his time at Long Beach State, South Florida, and Virginia Tech. Currently a ESPN college basketball analyst and host uh, throughout the college basketball season on game day and many games. So uh, our guest, Seth Greenberg, coach, appreciate you joining. How's things going back on the East Coast? We're hanging in there. You know, it's interesting. It's an interesting time. My mom lives in Manhattan. She's like kind of right in the center of it, actually not too far from the Javits Center, but she's doing well, 94 years old. It's, she calls herself a tough New York broad. Uh, she's kind of 94 years old, sells real estate, and she's hanging in there. My youngest daughter was graduating law school from Syracuse, and obviously she's finishing up classes but won't have that graduation. And then we've got an interesting October. Hopefully we can find some a level playing field. I've got one daughter uh, who's expected to deliver, my first granddaughter, and uh, another, my oldest daughter expecting to get married in October. So it's uh, a lot going on, but the most important thing is that and I've said this over and over again, and I'm not a political guy, but we need to be one America with everyone pulling in the same direction and understanding the medical officials are our leaders. They're our heroes. They're our game winners. They're our champions. And we've got to listen and follow and allow ourselves to be coachable so that we can all move forward and hopefully get back to at least some semblance of life as we know it. Such a, a correct and strong message, in my opinion, that that they are leaders, they are heroes. When when I look at uh, coaches, um, 
in a normal uh, situation in a normal world when we're not worrying about the current uh, things that are going on. Um, high school coaches can be those heroes, can be those leaders for a lot of kids. Um, take us back a little bit to your high school experience growing up on the East Coast. Was Did you have a love for the game that wanted to help you get into coaching maybe down the road, or was there a mentor or coach in your formative years that kind of maybe nudged you in that direction? That's a great question. I'll give you just – it's funny you just said that because I just finished writing a forward to a book. My college roommates and I have started a nonprofit called Coach uh, for Teammates for Life. And what we do is we raise money for former players in the New York metropolitan area, not just at Fairleigh Dickens University, but the New York metropolitan area that have hit on hard times. And uh, it's been very successful. We've raised a decent amount of money. And we, we paid, unfortunately, one of my assistant coaches' funerals. We get rides to people who are dealing with uh, cancer treatments. Uh, we've paid for books for tuition for former players who are trying to help their kids get through college. And we're in the midst of writing a book right now uh, called A Coach Is reflections of coaches who impacted our lives. And I literally just finished writing the forward to the book. Uh, and uh, I actually went through my, my grade school or middle school coach, who doesn't understand Lauks probably, had as, as much impact on me, not for my love of the game. My dad played for the famous Clear B at LIU. I, I, it was in my genes. I was born into having a love for the game of basketball. I remember as a little kid, going to the park with my dad in what they call the five towns where these, all these old guys played. I was probably five or six years old and watching all these old guys that just knew how to play. I mean, the ball went bam, bam, bam. Like we would all be right now go, man, like that's good basketball. Well, I just remember like back cuts, front cuts, ball reversal, step back, shot fakes, neck. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I remember but honestly, these young kids trying to take the court over one day and my dad turned to sit down and played for the Knicks. Great New York City, longtime player, played at NYU and NYU and LIU were great competitors. He was my dad's backcourt mate at Thomas Jefferson High School. And, and uh, my dad turned to, to, to Sid and said, Sidney, are they talking to us? And the ball went boom, boom, boom. And it was 11 nothing. The other, the, these kids who thought they were going to punk him literally didn't touch the ball in the last play. Mr. Tannenbaum was a great player. All I remember is Mr. Tannenbaum showing the ball almost like a rondo. The kid went flying into this this metal fence, and he lays it in. And he goes, "Ralphie, what, what, did he call us old men?" So that's where my love for the game started. But I had a coach. My parents got divorced when I was thirteen years old. I had a coach in my middle school named uh, Stan Lauk, who kind of looked after me. He knew what I was going on, what was going on in my life, and he invested in me, basically. And uh, you know, to me, we've all had coaches, whether it was, you know, what I learned from that instance is invest in others, compassion. He was demanding and he held me accountable, but it was important. Yet my high school coach, who's one of my dearest friends right now, a guy named Erwin Stewart, he taught me the value of patience because uh, I was not a very patient guy. Like if you didn't love the game, like I love the game, I had no patience for it. Like, like either you were lost in the game, you were lost in winning, you were lost in working on your game or like. I just didn't want to deal with it. So I, along my road, I've had some great coaches who have impacted my lives. And I think the important for coaches out there right now, important to do is, one, your players need you now. There's so much uncertainty going on, whether it's a senior in high school who's going off and, and, and not sure what's happening now because of the coronavirus, whether it's a senior in college that played for you four years ago 
who's going into a world of uncertainty. Your players need you now. And I've started text messaging, uh, group text messages with every one of my teams that I've ever coached. And like, so all my South Florida teams, all my Virginia Tech teams, all my Long Beach State teams. And we have these ongoing text messages going on. Uh, just because there are some guys that are down, some guys are depressed, some guys are going through hard times. And, and it's different ways to reach out, connect and touch. And not just one person, not just the old coach kind of to say, make good decisions, be smart. But basically what, what it's teaching our guys to do was something that Coach LeBabel taught us is when you have a standard, uh, the standard is the standard. And, and not only do you have to live the standard, but your teammates hold you to the standard. So by creating these little pockets of, of teams were holding each other accountable so coaches have had a huge impact on my life and uh, and i'm very fortunate the person i am today is is a byproduct of all those people uh, that's tremendous that you mentioned a, a middle school coach i had an eighth grade basketball coach uh slash discipleship teacher from the school that i went to and, and to this day you know he he now lives in indonesia working at a, a christian university but yeah, so I don't talk to him very often, but the impact that he had on me at a young age and how I look at him now uh, is is something that, you know, I hold him in the highest regards and I really appreciate the input that he's had on my life. One of the things you mentioned was talking about the love of the, the game where you went and you watched playground basketball being played. I feel that at this time, too many young kids – uh, don't understand how to go out and compete and when to stay on to play that next playground. Everything is structured, and I know there's a role for AAU, and I know there's a role for, for high school practices. What can kids or what do kids and coaches at the many different levels need to understand about the beauty of the game about competing in a playground-type setting? Yeah, I mean, I, that's, I, look, I grew up in a five-star camp, all right, and but – and that was a big part of my life, my personal life, my uh, as a player, and my coaching development. But growing up, I was fortunate. I, I was the youngest brother, and my brother Brad, who coached the NBA, and was an NBA general manager and vice president. He's coaching in Europe right now and been there for 10, 12 years all over the world, basically. Um, I was fortunate to be the guy that sat in the back of the car as we went park to park to park growing up. And playing, it was a, pro, a park called Prospect Park in New York, uh, where I literally learned how to compete. And in that park was Rick Pitino. In the park was a guy named, uh, not the Jim O'Brien, there was another Jim O'Brien who played at Maryland Park, was a guy with all the best players on Long Island and Queens. And basically, every single night, you would go there. And you'd be there from 5 o'clock to about 10 o'clock. And if you won, that was good. If you lost, your ass was sitting. And you were sitting until you won. And, and, and the deal was, like, there were fistfights every night. And I would be on the side basket with actually Matt Doherty because he, he was younger than me, but trying to get into one of the later games and just working around playing three-on-three three with not in the main court. Like, the main court was yeah. really like, I mean, there was, but like, every night there was a fight. And then the fight was over and everyone would go out and eat and drink and have a good time. But that was part of it because you learned how to draw out in the sand and compete, and winning was important. And there was a consequence for losing. You sat your ass for 45 minutes. And, you know, that's missing today because guys are now dribbling tennis balls. You know, guys are work dribbling around chairs. It's like I was on a conversation with an NBA uh, 
vice president today about some players. And he, you know, he said, well, you know, we're not going to be able to have the agent workouts. And I said, I got to be honest with you. Who gives a crap about the agent workouts? Like it, it's basically like in, in the NFL, it's like, you know, the, 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 those, those uh, workouts they have on campus. It's all scripted. Like I could still make shots in a gym alone going spot to spot. I'm six, going to be 64 next week. I could go out right now in the shape I'm in right now and do spot shooting, shot fake, one dribble. Couldn't do it a lot. One dribble pull-ups. I could go inside out, cross over, come off a, a, a cone, step back, knock down. I could do it right now. You know, and if you put a, a young young body in me, you'd say, damn, well, man, he's got good footwork. Yeah, he can really. Like, here's the deal. Are you a winning player? Like, that guy's got to learn how to be winning players. Guys got to learn how to compete. Guys got to learn how to play their stress. So when you're playing in the park growing up, when I finally got into the good games, like, if I took a bad shot, man, those older dudes would kick my ass because they didn't want to sit. Or if I made some stupid-ass pass, all right, they'd be going, like, hey, we don't make that pass. Or if I didn't run the court and get back on defense. Like, there was an accountability because you were playing to win. And uh, I think the guys missed that. Because and I, Look, I'm, I'm a big proponent. I, I'm all about I, I think there are some great stories in AAU basketball. I think there are some guys that really care, that do a good job coaching, that hold the kids accountable. But there's something about the rawness of going to a park and knowing to, to continue to play, you have to win. And, and young people are missing that a little bit. Love it. I, I grew up in the Vancouver, Washington, Portland area, and there was an athletic club that it was the same deal. Um, you had to kind of graduate to get to the main court. Uh, we also would, would go to uh, – some of us younger guys would go play at the local community college, and if you lost, you sat for, like you said, 30, 45 oh. minutes to get back on. Uh, but it's what you did. It's what you wanted to do, and that's how you got better. Um, I, I know you look – you follow college basketball as a whole. Um, obviously, we're based here in, in the state of Washington. From your national perspective, give us a quick synopsis of, of – University of Washington under Mike Hopkins and Washington State under Kyle Smith? Because I'm sure a lot of people uh, are curious about the national perception of those programs. Yeah, I mean, like, look, Hop's had great success early on. Uh, obviously, this show is, if you look at his three years, has been a little bit of an anomaly. Look, Hop has great energy. He's got great passion. He um, cares about the game. He almost cares. I, I, I talk to him. He puts so much pressure on himself sometimes. I remember when he got the job, I picked up the phone and called him because I recruited him. When I was at Long Beach State, we tried to recruit him. Quite honestly, we didn't think he was good enough, <laughs> which I let him know all the time. <laughs> I had Lucius Harris and Brian Russell. I had pros, uh, James Cotton. But uh, but he was at Matter Day High, and we used to recruit guys out of there. And, and So I've known Hop forever. And when I watched him when he was the interim coach at Syracuse, that was a tough situation because, like, you know, look, that wasn't his team. And he had a different relationship with those players as an assistant coach. And I think he really struggled. Do you stand up? Do you sit down? How much do you use your assistant coaches? You know, I mean, your role with your team changes. Uh, I worry sometimes about Hop because I think he internalizes so much. He cares so much. He's so passionate uh, that he never gives himself a chance to enjoy it. And he internalizes stuff and puts pressure on him. But he's done a great job. He was in a tough situation this year. He had those two guys, the potential lottery picks. Coaching one and done, and I say this all the time, you got to be special to coach those dudes because two things happen, and I really believe in it. I don't care how good the kids are. They have a different agenda, and it might even be them personally, than the rest of your team. 
because they, you know, unless you're John Calipari or Coach K or maybe Bill Self, um, and you're bigger than who they are, and you've done it, and they need you more than you need them, uh, it, is, it becomes hard to ha- create a winning culture. And I, I said all the time, Romeo Langford, uh, Ben Simmons, Markel Foles, uh, now, you know, Stuart McDaniels. I can go, I can go, I, I, I got 20 examples. It is really hard. I say that if you have one, one and done, your team is done. And that, that's nothing against Mike. I just think it becomes a hard thing because you have two different agendas. And even if they, the great, like everyone tells me, Stuart's the greatest kid in the world. You can be the greatest kid in the world, but it's the perception of everyone else around you that really makes it hard because they want, you know, guys, just human nature. Guys, people, they're static around them, wants them to be Isaiah Stewart. They want him to be Jaden McDaniels. And I think it's really hard to get a team on the same page. But I think Mike's done a great job. He's brought energy to the program. Uh, he's, taught, he's creating a winning culture. There's an accountability. You know, look, there are roadblocks and detours in anything you do in life. And then they've hit a roadblock and a detour. Now the thing is, how do you gain, regain your momentum? And you've got to have core beliefs and non-negotiables. And you've got to just really stay true to who you are and how you win. And they'll be fine. Now, Kyle is a really, really good coach uh, in a very tough job. My brother, Brad, actually, his first school he went to, went by George Rabbit at Washington State. All right, it's not the end of the world, but you can see it, he would say. Uh, <laughs> and it was different. It was a different era, too. Uh, but Kyle's a terrific tactician. Obviously, he's got a great coaching pedigree. Uh, and it's really about acquiring talent. But, you know, I think, and I, I can't imagine him doing this. There are no shortcuts. The problem is with the, the transfer portal now, with potentially freshmen or, or players being up to transfer the eligible right away, it makes it harder and easier. You know, you might be able to pick a guy here or there, but I think the most important thing for him is to make sure his assistants know who can play for him and the type of player that he is trying to build his program with, and then if you can get older and stay older. But he's a really good coach and a good guy. He was at Columbia. I coached at Columbia my first assistant job, and I know a lot of people that are there now that were there when I was there. And they absolutely loved him. And he did a great job in San Francisco. But it's a hard job. Getting people excited about what you're doing is hard at Washington State. Well, Coach, we really appreciate the time. Uh, I know you've probably got a lot of requests um, because of your knowledge, your personality, and willingness to, uh, to, to jump on different interviews and podcasts. So, uh, again, appreciate the time. Uh, well, you're doing a great job, man. Appreciate what you're doing. And uh, – you know, you're impacting a lot of people, and, uh, you know, we all got to do the same thing. But that thing about high school coaches or any coaches, it is so important that if your players are out of sight, they cannot be out of mind because these are really, really stressful times for young people, and they need someone to listen, someone to give them some type of encouragement. Uh, and that's an important role for coaches today. Absolutely. I, I'm looking forward to uh, texting my old high school coach later today. We, we texted the other day. So appreciate the words again, and, and thanks for being a, a guest on Score with Live Washington podcast. You got it, man. Thanks, man. Please be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E. 
AV on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.